We are Pod Jerky, two Canadian buddies serving up multi-flavored audio jerky in every episode. If you like good times, strong coffee, maple syrup, swamp donkeys, hockey, the outdoors, common sense, dogs, conspiracy theories, sports, and life in general, then subscribe and follow our podcast and check out our social media channel at Pod Jerky. Pod Jerky, make it a double. Some of the topics discussed on Blackbird, an advocacy podcast, are difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 16 of Blackbird. 16, that's a lot. That's a lot. We're almost to 20. Can't believe we've done this 16 times. Yeah. And then some. And then some. I know. As always, I am your host, Sarah, and with me is my sleepy co-host, Dan. Mmm, what up, y'all? <laughs> we finally went out yesterday for the first time since quarantine, so we're a little yeah tired today. <laughs> yeah, our, our tolerance for being out past 8, eight o'clock is, yeah. is quite low. So no banter today. We're just going to get into the story. Yeah. You're welcome, whoever it was that didn't like the banter. <laughs> Anti-banters. A- Anti-banters? Yeah. Let's gonna leave it at that. Okay. So there's been a lot of talk lately about the conspiracy theory that Wayfair is part of a child sex trafficking ring. While we cannot know for certain that this is untrue, I can pretty much assure you that it's not actually happening. Wayfair is not oh. part of a yeah. sex trafficking ring. Yeah. Sex traffickers do not use such public means to traffic their victims. Well, they might do it for like a day and then they go to jail. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. The if, thing... if you're dumb enough to like go on eBay to advertise the people you have for sale, you're going to go to jail real quick. The thing about using websites like Wayfair and stuff is that it's incredibly easy for authorities to obtain your IP address. Mm-hmm. So they're going to know where it's coming from. Right. This, and, and... Isn't, this isn't like when they used to use Backpage where they couldn't trace that stuff. It was up for a day and then it was down and they, liter- they literally couldn't trace it. That was the point of Backpage. But things like Wayfair or, or eBay or Amazon, these kinds of websites are very easily traceable. Right. And they're popular websites too. So if, if you were actually trying to conduct illegitimate business on a popular site like that, at some point, some random person is just going to see that and be like, that's weird. I'm going to report this to the authorities. Yeah. You know, like and it would be, it would be the equivalent of like making drug deals on your personal cell phone. Like you're going to get caught. Yeah. You use a burner phone because you burn the phone. Well, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You use things that, right. It can be quickly destroyed. Right. Um, so again, like Backpage, like they would put an ad up for, you know, a 24 hour ad or something and then it was down. Right. But again, it wasn't traceable also. Right. Wayfair, even if they put it up for 
24 hours, it's traceable. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there are so many people now who are like, oh my God, this is happening. Look at what I discovered. Some dude right. on Reddit discovered this. Right. Like, guess what, dude? You didn't discover it. If <laughs> if you indeed discovered a sex trafficking ring on one of the most public websites, you should be part of the FBI. <laughs> like, why have you not gotten a job with the FBI at this point? Right. It, I, I can assure you it's not happening. So I am tired of seeing all of these conspiracy theories but I guess with the quarantine, people have literally nothing, nothing better to do. Yeah, and they're on their computers all day anyway. Right. So. Right. I'm just, I'm tired of it because people don't understand what trafficking in the United States actually looks like. Right. And it frustrates me because I it, people need to educate themselves on what sex trafficking actually looks like here. Because it's not a website like Wayfair. It's not, it, that's not what it is. Right. That's not what it is. Um, you know, I, I can't speak to what happens in other parts of the country, but I'm going to assume since we've talked about a couple of these stories in other areas of the country, that it's very similar to what happens here on Long Island, where I've been trained about what happens in, in sex trafficking here. And it's not like they just abduct people and then put them to work. It's not like that. It's not like the movie Taken. It's not like what we hear about in other countries. In the United States, it's it's people who live in the U.S. It's U.S. citizens who are usually down on their luck, who are looking for a better life, who are promised things that are not given, <laughs> ultimately. Um, and they're thrust into this life not understanding what's actually going to happen to them it's not the guy on the street who's just like snatching people right it's 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 a much slower process yes. it's like you know it's, it's like a, yes. the old boil the lobster slowly thing yeah. like you know you, you right like you said you start with somebody who's down on their luck and they just decide i'm gonna do this for some cash yeah. you know trying to put themselves through college whatever it is right. you know and they start slowly, and then they get into more and more stuff, and then they start to get taken advantage of because Correct. it's easy to take advantage they of those people. Them. You know, you get get them addicted to drugs. Correct. You get them. You know, if if we're talking about women, which we usually are, you know, maybe they get pregnant, and now their pimp has has their child, and says, "Oh, well, you know, now I've got your kid, yeah. so you're gonna, you know, yeah. it's a much slower process." It's a much but slower. Process. Obviously, if you're trying to make a movie. It has to yes, be. There's got to be that It has to be sexy. That, it has to be mm -hmm. quick. It has to be exactly. Yeah, you know, two happy-go-lucky American girls get off of a plane, and some guy just snatches them, and right. forty-eight hours later, they're in you know Herzegovina in, right. in some tent city, right? You know, working as sex slaves or whatever. Right. Like, and I also want to make a, a point. There is a distinction between. Um, taking somebody over the border versus being in the same country. So trafficking is generally like the same, the same country. Obviously in the United States, obviously they can take them through from state to state, but that's not technically like borders. We're not. You know. Right. We've mentioned this before, but it doesn't hurt to mention it again. But taking them over the border. So like if you're, if you're um, grabbing somebody from the States and you're bringing them down to Mexico, that's called smuggling 
or if you're taking them from Mexico to the States, whatever you're going over the border, that's called smuggling. You could be smuggling them for sex trafficking work, but that's not trafficking a person. That's not specifically the trafficking. That's, that's legitimately, that's called smuggling. So when people think of trafficking as, you know, you're crossing border lines, again, that's generally not what happens in the United States. It's not bringing in people from different countries, um, you know, to, to come here. Although in New York, especially, we do have a high percentage of, um, you know, like the massage parlors and stuff right. with, with sex workers who are um, of Asian ancestry, because again, they're promised a different, a, a better life here. They're, they're, uh, but again, it's not somebody going over to China or Vietnam or wherever and, and snatching, snatching people the, off the, the street, a right? Large group <laughs> out of, of them a rickshaw, like, and then flying them over here or or right. or getting them on a boat and smuggling them over here. That's not what it is. They put ads up and they say, "Hey, do you want to come to live in the United States and and get your United States citizenship?" and become a legitimate worker here we can promise you all of these things we can promise you documentation we can promise you a safe life and then they come here and that's not what happens right and they just don't know any better they don't understand that if someone promises you legal u.s documentation they are probably lying right i mean unless this person is a u.s senator or like the actual president they probably cannot get you legitimate right. papers. Mm-hmm. And that's a very difficult process exactly. in this country. Exactly. But yeah, exactly. But people in other countries are... They just don't know. They don't they know. They just don't know. And they think, oh, well, it's the American right. dream. Right. I'm going to come to the States. I'm going to become a citizen and I'm going to work legitimately and send money back to my family, whatever it is. Um so I just, I want to make that distinction that it's not people just like going over to third world countries and grabbing a bunch of people and then shipping them back over here. That's not, that's not how it works. It's most of the time people who are already in this country, people who are born and raised here, who are unfortunately just, you know, they don't have a, a good support system at home. Maybe they're runaways. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they're drug addicted. Maybe they're already in sex work. Right. You know, it's people like that. Right. And in a lot of cases, you're you're talking about how, like, they'll make these promises to them. In some cases, they know they don't even have to go through that process because they know these people already have the idea in their head. And they're already on their way to the U.S. to, you know, start a little restaurant or or work in a nail salon or whatever it may be. So in in a lot of cases, they don't even have to go out of their way to make these promises. Mm -hmm. They just understand that there's an income of these people in certain areas. Yeah. And Absolutely. so if they choose to operate in those areas, they're just getting this, this influx of, right. of targets. Right. Yeah. And, um, a word of advice, if you go to, um, a, a nail salon or, or a massage parlor or something like that, and they don't have their licenses up on the walls, it, they're more than likely not legitimate. Um, they have they have to have their licenses up, or if you ask to see their licenses or certifications, they're, they're, they have to prove that they are legal to work in that facility. So if they can't provide that documentation for you, then it is not a legitimate place, and you should report it to the authorities. Right, and check the expiration date too, because they may yes. have been licensed they in may 2005. Have been licen- right, and- yeah. Exactly. They started shady practices, lost their license, and just left the piece of paper there that they yep. can point at. 
Yep. <laughs> so just just be on the lookout for that um, because that does happen a lot. Um, I've been in places where they don't have their like their documentation. I've also been in places where they do have their documentation. You know, my nail salon has all of their documents on the walls. I mean, it's every single person who works in there. All of their licenses are on the walls, so I know that they have gone through the process. They have been trained. They have been essentially educated and they work legitimately here. Um, so I don't worry about my nail salon, but there are places that I have been in that I've been a little like, wait a minute, you know, right. should I even be in here? This right. is, this doesn't right. seem, this seems shady. Right. And where does that door go and what happens back there? Yes. And do I want to know? And do I want to be involved in it? And yeah. the answer is no, just yeah. go down the street, go to the next place. Go to the next place. Right. You have choices. Yeah. Um, so with that, that kind of brings us into today's case. So we've obviously discussed trafficking in previous episodes, but today's story is slightly different. And it's actually a story that hits very close to home because it happened on Long Island. This is the case of Raymond Rodeo III. According to the Polaris Project, in 2018, New York saw 492 cases of sex trafficking. 1,079 victims were identified and 391 traffickers were identified in one year alone. Wow. New York City and Western Long Island are hot spots for this type of activity, and generally the victims are residents of these locations. Raymond Rodeo III used Backpage and Craigslist to recruit victims for his sex trafficking operation. Authorities say he promised these sex workers a, quote, large percentage of their earnings through his ads. From at least 2014 through 2018, Rodeo utilized his parents' windowless basement in Sound Beach, which is on the North Shore of Suffolk County, Long Island, to imprison as many as 22 women. Jeez, that is a lot of people in what I can only imagine is a fairly small space. Yes. There are actually photos, if you search, there are photos of the, um, of the basement. And it, yes, it's not, you know, it's not a large area. I don't know if he had all of them at once. Um, you know, I don't know how many women he had at one time in there. But, uh... All of the reports were calling it a sex dungeon because it literally, like, there was nothing. There were no windows. Right. There was nothing. Right. It was just this desolate basement with a bed. Jeez. Um, and it, the, it, all of the women were um, roughly in their twenties, and he would find them, like I said, on Backpage or Craigslist. And these are women who were already kind of like in the industry, so they assumed that he was going to be their pimp, but that he was going to give them a large cut of what they were earning. Right. Um, but in reality, that's not at all what was happening. So again, like we said, you know, these are, these are women who were probably already down on their luck. Right. And were promised things. Right. And they're already expecting a little bit of what, they ended up with in yeah. terms of right they're not they don't they don't think they're going on a vacation they know right. that they're going to do some right they know what they're doing right, right. but they're assuming... so it's easier to to 
kind of sneak that in. It's yeah. like a bait and switch. You go to go to a dealership to look at a car, and when you get there, it's like, well, that's not really the car, but all right, I guess it's a Taurus. It's close enough to the Taurus I wanted. I'll right. just take it. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, yeah, these women were already in the industry, so they knew what to expect from it. So they weren't... They weren't... Alarmed. Right. They weren't, like, suckered in to, right. like, oh, now you're going to just start having sex with people. They, they already knew what they were getting themselves into, but they were assuming that they were going to have, you know, essentially, like, a manager who can right. get them more clients, which means more money. That's what they were being promised. Right. So they assumed, great, I'm going to just be making more money. But, again, that's not exactly what what happened. What they got, right. Rodeo would often force his victims to use a bucket as a toilet and even threatened physical violence on one of the sex workers. However, his method of coercion was to ply the women with drugs so they would remain under his control. Often, sex trafficking victims come from unpleasant and harsh backgrounds, with many being drug addicted or in severe poverty. Needing places to go, believing anything is better than homelessness or withdrawal, they follow the promises of traffickers, not knowing what they're getting themselves into. He lured these women in with heroin and cocaine to fuel their addictions and to not allow them to leave for fear of the physical ailments of withdrawal. If the women did not comply with Rodeo's demands, he would threaten them by withholding the drugs. And while he promised to provide the women with large sums of their earnings, he in turn kept the majority, if not all, of what they made through their sex work. What's even more sick is that Rodeo was a father of two at the time, and his parents claimed they had no idea what was happening in that basement and never suspected sex trafficking. Some of the sex work took place in various motels, but most took place right under his parents' noses in their basement. So this is a man who's in his 40s, mind you, who doesn't live there. He's just using their basement. So did they live there? His parents lived in this house weird that just seems like an odd choice i mean so if he doesn't live there then that means he's got his own place that he lives right so why wouldn't he just use that place that to I be don't... disconnected from the scene of the crime i guess maybe i don't know if his children lived with him and maybe that's why he didn't want to bring it around his children right. i'm not 100 percent sure why it was but why... he didn't mind having his parents around it because apparently they had they had no idea Were they... yeah were they retired I guess uh, probably I'm not I'm not were sure they potentially I mean he was in his late 40s they... no they were they were they were lucid and everything that that was okay. yeah I mean his father even spoke to the press about it right um he was mm. in his late 40s so I'm going to assume that his parents were probably at least in their late 60s right right so maybe retired right so you know it, I mean you've got to know that's happening right you've got to know so when I took my senior seminar of the making of a serial killer, my professor, so she like created this class and um, she was a, uh, an expert on, on serial killers and, and profiling and stuff. 
She joked all the time that it should have been named the making of a serial killer and the women who had no idea that this was happening underneath their noses because right. all of these guys were usually married or, or living with their parents or something like that. And none of these people suspected that they were murdering people and, in their houses or, and burying them like John Wayne Gacy yeah. buried multiple victims in his crawl space. Right. And his wife never knew. Right. Yeah, I mean, I let's so let's take the internment in the crawl space out of it. And let's just yeah. say that I'm a serial killer and I, you know, we're old, so we go to bed at nine o'clock. It would be it would be pretty easy for me to just wait until you fall asleep, go out an hour later, two hours later, commit some serial killings, clean up after myself, and come back. And either just kind of sneak back into bed or come in here and pretend like, oh, I wasn't feeling well, so I just came in here and played some video games or watched TV or whatever. So, like, that, in that case, like, I can get it that, like, the significant others and the families didn't know. Um, but when you start to add variables to it, like you said, if they're burying people in the yard, it's like, don't you find it strange that he's digging huge holes right. every few weeks? And then when you up it from that point and say, well, now there are parents, your parents are here. And when you up it even further and say, like, there's literally continuing criminal activity occurring just underneath your feet, you start to build these variables on which make it much less likely that people aren't aware of what's happening. Like, did his parents ever go in the basement? It was that's their my house. Point. Well, that's my point. Like... Exactly. I, I don't and you don't understand. even have to go in the basement. Unless, like, unless you sound deaden the ceiling, which you don't, they've got to hear stuff happening. I mean, based on the nature of the activity that was occurring down there, right. it's a noisy it, activity. It, right. So like, you his, had to know. His father actually said something along the lines that, like, we knew that he was selling and doing drugs, but we never knew that sex trafficking was happening. So, so you were cool so, with that. Right. <laughs> so they knew that he was doing illegal activity out of their home. Right. Like, he was probably paying their mortgage or paying their property taxes and Maybe. utilities. And so they were turning a blind eye saying, like, oh, he's going to sell some drugs. Quite possibly. We're, you know, he's going he, to help out his elderly parents. He had a drug addiction. Yeah. So they may have been like, oh, we'll help him out. Right. You know, things like that. So, right, exactly. Maybe, maybe they thought that he was... He was, you know, helping them out. So they right. would in turn help him out. Right. Um, Which we're not recommending. <laughs> Absolutely. No. <laughs> if you have an adult child who, who needs help and you suspect that they're selling drugs out of your house, don't allow that to happen because you are absolutely legally liable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Everywhere in the United States, you are legally liable for that. Plus, it's just a crap thing to do. You don't want to participate in the in the selling of, of illegal right. substances. I, Drugs I, are bad, okay? I have in my notes that I believe his... Personally, I believe his parents were complicit in this. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Unless, it, like I said, if they were somehow, you know, mentally incompetent, then I could see. Right, but, if, but if we're to assume that they were... But literally his father went to the press right. and when the press asked him if they knew what was going on, he said, we knew that he was selling right. drugs out of our right. home. Right, so clearly you're not... You know, even if you didn't know that sex trafficking was happening, you right. had you knew a complete understanding yeah. that he was committing illegal right. acts right. inside your home. Right. So you are complicit. 100%. Yeah. To say that you 
knew this was happening but didn't do anything about it. You are complicit. Yep. Like, not only legally, but morally. (laughs) Yes. Like. Yeah. And I know, like, you know, we're we're not parents, so, like, I, I don't know what it's like to have a child who's going through something where you just want to help them. But I, I, and I, so I can understand a parent who just wants to help their child, but enabling them is not helping them. Right. It's making the situation worse, and then it's putting yourself in jeopardy. Yes. Like, if he's selling drugs out of his home, so let's take out the sex trafficking part of it, but if he's just selling drugs out of his home, who knows if that could turn violent at some Absolutely. point. Absolutely. And you could be caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Or I... or you could just be the target because, you know, maybe he a drug deal goes bad and now that person is like, well, I'm going to kill your family. I know where you live. I right. know where you're doing this. Exactly. Your parents live there. I'm going to exactly. go kill them. You know, you're putting yourself at risk too. Yeah. I was around, back in the day, I was around a lot of people who were in that industry and every single one of them was subject to violence at some point. Yeah. Even the ones who were totally like, you know, quote unquote, professional about it. At some point, some a-hole comes up and hits them with something. Right. 100% of them right. have been hit with a bad, or a board, or or pistol whipped, or right. just punched, right. or whatever. Right, it might whatever. not be as far as getting shot. Right, but exactly. because around here, that tends to be a little bit less likely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you're somewhere else in the country, if you're in Kentucky, right. and you're making meth deals, yep. there's a good chance you're going to get shot at at some right. point. Right, and so... While it is normally incredibly difficult to identify sex traffickers, especially in the way in which they found Rodeo, Suffolk police did a damn good job with this investigation. During a routine traffic stop, police found a woman in the vehicle with Rodeo and found the circumstances to be suspect. And thus they began investigation on Rodeo. A press release given by DA Tim Sini explained, quote, an investigation by the police department's human trafficking investigations unit revealed evidence that the victim had been forced into sex trafficking by Rodeo in the spring of 2018. So this traffic stop, I believe, happened in August. And from what I was reading, what happened was, you know, this woman was in the vehicle with Rodeo. And I've told you before, you know, it's incredibly difficult to identify a sex trafficker just from driving in a car with somebody. A lot of times they will already, you know, they'll indoctrinate their their victims who if they're if they get stopped, you know, they they roll through a stop sign or whatever. Or they run a red light and the cop pulls them over and it's a guy and a girl sitting in the car, you know, and the police ask, like, who are you to this person? The girl would just be like, I'm his girlfriend. Right. Or I'm his cousin or because they're so brainwashed. Right. That they're not going to right there be like, I'm a victim. I'm sex trafficked. They're just going to say, like, yeah, I'm this is my boyfriend. So the police can't arrest you. Right. You know, they have to have proof that something's happening. So if it's just a man and a woman in the car together, it's very difficult to to be like, you are being trafficked. Right. That doesn't happen. But in this circumstance, apparently, I guess she looked disheveled enough 
and it just she was much younger than he there just was something that the police officer felt wasn't right in this situation and that's why i'm saying that the the suffolk police did a, a great job in this instance because that cop was like i don't feel right about this situation and so that's what started that's what initiated this investigation into rodeo because i guess he or she went back to the human trafficking unit and said like hey i don't feel right about this something's going on here can we you know get an investigation going and the suffolk human trafficking unit um only started like a couple of years ago it wasn't anything they were part of a different unit and so i guess when they started realizing how rampant it actually was here yeah they figured you know what we really need our own task force we we need our own unit on this yeah i mean i had no idea how how rampant it was until you started doing this research yeah. yeah had you asked me 15 years ago how often people get human trafficked in suffolk county i would be like they don't it's right. not a thing we have right we do but, um, it's, yeah. and it's happening right now it's happening right under our noses and we don't even realize it because they're so discreet in what they do and again that's what makes it so difficult to find these people because they are they're master manipulators they are like the worst of the worst con people. They know exactly how to get in and out of these situations as quickly as possible and not be detected. Which again is why this Wayfair thing is just right. It's it, nonsense. It they're better than that. Right. It doesn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're better than you, random person. They're better than that, and that sounds <sighs> terrible, but it's it's true. But I I just I have to give kudos to whoever this. This officer, officer yeah, was because yeah. there was this is what they're trained for right they need these yeah. these instinctual reactions to be like something's not okay here because especially for these guys who do just routine stops that's how you're gonna catch people yep that's how you're gonna find the people who are doing the bad things that's how joel rifkin was was caught yeah again our police force does a good job of of pulling people over. I mean, that's all they do here. Well, right, and that's <laughs> and that's exactly the thing. That's like, really like our big our big thing here is is traffic violations. Right, and that's the thing. Like, if you're the kind of cop that just wants to pull people over and issue tickets, you no, that's no good. You need to be this kind of cop who's gonna pull people over, but then also gonna think yep. when you see something. Hey, wait a second. Yeah. Let's think about this for a minute. Yeah. This seems not right. Yeah. Maybe we need to push some buttons. You need and... to use your critical thinking skills when you are a police officer. Right. I every mean... every beat cop should be some degree of detective. Yes. You know, you should always be thinking, you know, because even if you just pull a guy over and his car reeks of weed, every cop will tell you, okay, I'm probably going to search this guy's car. Right. You know? Or, or you see, like, a shell casing, like an empty shell casing bouncing around inside of the passenger footwell or whatever. That doesn't mean this person is a murderer or that he or that shell casing was even shot recently, but it's the kind of thing that you think, like, all right, maybe I need to have this guy step out of the vehicle and take a look. Right. You know? Don't just be like, eh, whatever, it's Long Island, people shoot as a hobby, here's your ticket, have a nice day. Exactly. Because maybe he did just murder someone. Right. So even you, even as a beat cop, you need to have a little bit of detective in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, with Joel Rifkin, I think 
I can't now remember if he rolled a stop sign. I feel like he rolled a stop sign. It was either that or he had the taillight out. I can't remember. I think remember. it was a taillight, if I remember. Yeah, because there's another serial killer who also got stopped, who had a, a, a victim in the car, in the trunk, right. who had the taillight out or the stop or whatever, right. and didn't actually get caught at that time, which, uh, whatever. Um, but yeah, so he had one of, one of these things. Um, and the cop pulls him over and um, smells decomp and searches the car and finds a a woman's dead body in his trunk or I don't think it was like a hatchback maybe a pickup I don't remember exactly what kind of vehicle it was but they mm -hmm. found this and then realized after investigation like oh my god he's a serial killer yeah and for those who don't know Joel Rifkin is also is from Long Island so again, like we, that's a lot of what we do here. What our police force does here is, is traffic violations. Because again, we don't really have a lot of major crime happening here that we know of. Obviously there is, you know, trafficking, there's drug um, selling, drug trafficking, all of that stuff also. Um, but, but we're not like a major port like Miami is for bringing in drugs. No, not for drugs. No, right. exactly. And and we're pro I would imagine we're not really a major port for bringing in humans. Well, for smuggling either. We are. Like like a major one. Like we're one of the largest we're, ones. Yes, really? okay. New York, Long Island is one of the largest hotspots of really? of human trafficking. Yeah, mm. yeah, uh, because of the city. Yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Um. There's a ton of humans in the city. So There's a not... ton of and and think about so think about um when we did the uh, Long Island serial killer case, a lot of those women were yeah. coming into the tri-state area, and were sex workers. So like that's we we have Manhattan is full of sex workers, drug addicts, homeless. Right. So it's just, it's easy to, to be, to go into the city and be like, hey, right. I can get you work on, on Long Island. And they're like, wow, you're going to give me a place to live. I'm going to make money. You're going to give me drugs. This right. sounds like a great opportunity. Right. You're going to get me out the hood. Yep. Like, and then yeah. they're either trafficked or they wind up dead. Right. Or both. Right. Um, so yeah, we're, we, you know, we have... A lot of that kind of stuff happening, but like we don't really like know it's happening. So the majority of what we see the police force doing here is really traffic stops. So according to the director of human trafficking programs at the Safe Center Long Island, Emily Waters, an unprecedented number of victims came forward in this case, which is amazing. To have that many women be able to speak their truths and express what had been done to them over the years by this garbage non-human. I still haven't figured out a word for that. <laughs> it's remarkable because usually we do not have victims of sex trafficking coming forward because, again, they're brainwashed or they're indoctrinated or they're scared. They're fearful. So to be able to actually have these women come forward and say, yes, this man did this to me is right incredible. and i mean if this is their profession too their you know yeah. for lack of a better word chosen profession like it's the same thing as like if you're at your job and you know your job is doing something they're technically not supposed to you don't necessarily be the whistleblower because you got bills to pay right yeah. you're like all right whatever if these are the decisions they want to make yeah 
I'll come in and I'm just going to do my job. And it's the same thing with them. They This is their job. They yeah. don't want right. to lose their job by, you know. So there's something actually really great that Nassau County does. Um, they have a human trafficking court. And basically, if you are, if you're a sex worker and you're arrested, so say you're with a John, you and the John both get arrested. The John, you know, has to go through the process of whatever he's arrested for, um, purchasing sex, promoting prostitution, whatever it is that he's now charged with. The sex worker herself goes through the process of the human trafficking court because it's assumed that if you are in sex work, you didn't do that voluntarily. So they're actually going to put you through kind of like an interview process and not to not to um, interrogate you in any way. It's sort of like a counseling interview process where they try to just figure out, did you come into this work with the intentions of working for yourself? Are you are you are you freelanced, essentially? Or are you working for a pimp? Do you have somebody higher up who is forcing you to do this stuff, who's taking a lot of your money, who's not allowing you to do things independently. They will arrest the sex worker, but they won't charge her with any sort of prostitution crime. And if anything, if she did anything during the time of her sex trafficking, if she committed any other crime, so like doing drugs, if she was selling drugs, if she was doing anything like that, they won't charge her for any of that stuff during that time period because they believe that it was all done because either she was forced into it. Right, or at least coerced. Right, or she felt she needed to do it out of fear or safety. So Nassau County really makes sure to protect sex workers, which is phenomenal. And we really need this on a, a higher level. We really need this like federally or or at least, you know, statewide, because, you know, if if you have the option to work elsewhere or go into sex work, generally, you're not going to choose to go into sex work unless you are like really in desperate need of something or you like like I said before you're drug addicted you need you need the money for the drugs you you know things like that so to regulate it and to make sure that there are protections for these women is so important because it's such a violent and risky profession to be in so Nassau County really makes sure that they are protecting these women and getting the perpetrators. They want the women in, they want the sex workers in so that they can find the traffickers. They want to protect these women because A, they're being coerced, they're being forced into doing something that they shouldn't be, that's illegal. But B, they want these women on their sides because they want to find the real perpetrators. So they make sure that they're, that they're getting these women in so that they can bust up the the rings. Right. So 47-year-old Rodeo pleaded not guilty to 14 counts of sex trafficking and promoting prostitution at his arraignment on April 25th, 2019. He was held on $1 million bail 
and was facing the possibility of up to 25 years in prison. In February of 2020, so just recently, Rodillo pleaded guilty to one count of sex trafficking as a B violent felony, four counts of sex trafficking as a B felony, third degree criminal sale of a controlled substance, second degree promoting prostitution, and third degree promoting prostitution. And now at this point, he was facing a sentence of up to nine and a half years in prison with five years of supervised post-release probation and to register as a sex offender. That doesn't sound like a lot of time for that list of charges. No. Like, granted, none of those charges are particularly huge, but, like, that's a lot of charges. The thing, too, is that he pled guilty to at least one count of a violent felony. Right. Like, how so, do you only so get nine, up to nine years? So he's a violent felon. Right. Right. Which means four and a half years, really. And so how do you only do four and a half years for a violent felony? And he was looking at 14 counts of sex trafficking and only got the guilty for five. Despite the fact that the women all came forward. I don't know how many. I don't know Maybe if all of them did. Of Maybe them only did. five of them did. And so those are the only five they were able to get. Maybe. But that's the plea deal but that they he could, got because he pled guilty. I would imagine that if, let's say you only had five out of the 14 come forward, if all five of those give testimony that he had 14 women in total, all five of them give that testimony, I would assume that that's evidentiary support for the remainder of the charges, even if the other women don't come forward. Well, if he pled guilty, he got a plea deal. Well, yeah. Well, and, and at the end of the day, exactly, that's what happened. So they probably he, he were got like, a deal. we only have five women who came forward, so we're going to give you the deal for five women instead of 14 and this is what you're gonna get right and he was probably like yeah cool i'd rather spend nine years than 25 years yeah that sucks so he got nine and a half years nine and a half right when he should have spent up to 25 years for sure definitely absolutely and that sucks there was no evidence that he he assaulted these women. Um, the only thing was that he would threaten them with physical violence, but he never was physically violent towards them. But the fact that he's forcing them to continue to stay drug addicted. Right. The fact that, at least in New York State, if somebody sells you drugs and you die you get it you have an overdose that dealer is responsible for your death right it's just like if you go to a bar and get into yep. an accident theoretically now i don't know if it's ever happened right. but it's theoretically it's the establishment correct liability so the fact served you. that these women were continuing down the road of drug addiction because they were being coerced and they were being threatened that if you don't comply, I'm going to take the drugs away from you and you're going to go through withdrawal. And withdrawal right. from heroin is horrid. Yeah, that's why they use it. <laughs> Correct. And that's why when you go through withdrawal from heroin, you go, you start taking methadone. Because that methadone is still on like that same level, but it's right. lesser than. Right. So withdrawal from heroin is no joke. Yeah. So to continue 
pushing these women into taking these drugs, that should have been way harsher for him. Yeah, yeah. If people who sell drugs can be charged with homicide, right? this man should have been charged with something much worse. Right, I agree. Yeah, but that's what plea deals do. And that's ridiculous. Nine, I, I st- nine and a yeah. half years. I don't know. I still feel like even even for the charges that he did get, I feel like that's not a, an appropriate amount of time I to know. get sentenced for. I know. Unless the maximum charge carried only nine and a half years somehow, and all the other sentences are running concurrently. Yeah. But like could, violent felonies should always be consecutive sentences. I don't think violent felonies can run concurrently. I don't know. So according to JonesHacker.com, okay, E. Stewart Jones Hacker Murphy, it's a, it's a, a law firm. Oh, okay. One of these men is actually named Hacker. One yeah, of these yeah, yeah. Actually, I was like Jones Hacker. I know when I first saw it, like I was a like, reliable website. I know. Do not give them your credit card <laughs> I information. The same thing. Um, a Class B violent felony in New York State holds up to a maximum sentence of twenty-five years. Right. So if he was being charged with 14 counts, I don't know if the 14 counts were all be violent felonies or if they were just felonies. When he was charged, he was facing up to 25 years. So that was the maximum sentence that he could have gotten. So he may have only been charged with the one count of be violent, violent felony. Or if they were charging him with all 14 and all 14 were be violent felonies, they could have had the sentences run concurrently. The fact that he actually was essentially convicted because he pled guilty, he was found guilty of a B violent felony that carries a maximum sentence of 25 years. He only got nine and a half years. That was his plea deal. Right. Is, is there a minimum? Like that's stupid. Cause like I can say that a charge carries a maximum of a hundred years and I can give you six months. Like, there's usually a minimum as well, and I would have assumed that there's a minimum in this case, but... No. I don't know. It doesn't look like there's a minimum, at least not what I'm Which finding here. Which is ridiculous. Here. That's ridiculous. Um, and I would assume that the minimum in this case would be 10, like 10 to 25, and then, yeah, that, that fudge factor is for the specific the particulars of that case and any credit for, like, taking a plea deal or whatever. This is from another law firm, um... And this is from Brooklyn specifically, but it says if the defendant has no prior felony convictions, he will be treated as a first felony offender. Sentences for not for non-predicate defendants are indeterminate for nonviolent first offenses and determinate for violent first offenses. And so no priors violent, a B carries a minimum of five years. So a B violent felony with no priors has a minimum minimum of five, maximum of 25. Why? Why is the range five to 25 years? That just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I don't know. You know, that's like saying I'm going to sell you a TV and I'm going to charge you somewhere between $500 and $2,500 for the same TV. Yeah. It's the same charge. I know. Like I said, there are particulars of the case, but it... The particulars of the case shouldn't justify a sentence window of 500% like that. No, it shouldn't. That's ridiculous. And it's infuriating that he got the plea deal. And it should not count as a first offense, even though this is the first trial. 
Because he was charged him, with so many because others. Because he's charged with multiple. Anytime you commit a violent act multiple times, that's a second and third and fourth offense. I, I agree. don't care if it happens the same day. I agree. <laughs> I agree. And why why are they allowed to um, assign sentences for violent felonies concurrently? That's ridiculous. That should always be consecutive. I know. You chose to kill a man, and then you chose to kill another person, and then you chose to kill another person. You should do 10 years for each of those choices. Right. I agree. You know? I, so, I like, agree. I can, I can shoot one guy, or I can shoot 30 guys, but it's it's a concurrent sentence. That's just ridiculous. I, like, I, as if those are the same things. Right. You know? Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, we talk about it all the time. I, I don't know if we've actually ever touched on the subject on the podcast but we need complete justice system reform oh yeah complete complete all the systems reform well yes we do but the justice system yeah it's not a system designed to rehabilitate people oh no it is a system to to punish, punish people that's it and that's fine obviously these people do need to be punished but there are particulars, and you have to look at it case by case, 100%. There, no case is, is like another, where sentencing needs to be harsher, where people need to be put into mental institutions rather than prison, Yeah. where people need to, if they are in prison, have to get proper mental health evaluations constantly. I mean, there's so much that needs to be done to really ensure that we're showing society that if you commit something, you are going to be punished appropriately. A lot of the times these sentences are not appropriate. Right. Like the Brock Turner case. Right. To have only served three months for sexually assaulting somebody who was unconscious right is absurd completely absolutely utterly absurd absurd completely absurd to get nine and a half years for forcing women to take drugs and to have sex with multiple people against their will is absurd yes yes <laughs> Yeah, and, and to have to have established, a, for lack of a better word, business doing this, you know, again, like it, it's it's one thing when you are the first time, when you are a first time offender, when you do something once, it can be justified. Like the guy who needs to support his his dying mother's cancer treatments, and and he robs a liquor store for the money. I'm not justifying it, but I'm saying. That's the kind of thing where you have to treat that with some deference. But, mm -hmm. like, this is something that this person was continually doing. Right. Every single day he made the decision to commit these heinous acts. Right. Every single day he sh there should be another charge. If you've been doing this for a year, you should get 365 counts mm -hmm. of being an a-hole. Mm -hmm. So let's not, you know, this isn't something that you made a mistake. You did it consistently. Right. For an extended period of time. Right. This is not a This is not something you didn't mean to do. Right. <laughs> you know, there are times where you'll see, um, you know, and obviously, like I said before, he didn't, he didn't assault these women. He, at least from what I read, did not have sex with these women. He just trafficked them out to other people. 
You will see in cases where somebody has raped another person who has kept them imprisoned and has and has raped them over and over and over that they will be charged with every single one of those rapes, even though it's Good. the same person. Right. They will be charged. So say they raped them twice a day for 10 days. Right. They will be charged Good. with 20 counts Good. of rape. And they should be. But that doesn't always happen. Right. Um, I would imagine it very rarely happens. It, right. So, in this case, again, he took a plea deal, so, like, we can't really, like, discuss it as if it was, you know, truly what happened in this case. But had he not taken a plea deal, had he just been charged with, you know, more than the 14 counts, the 14 counts were probably what they could prove of how many women he had trafficked. Mm -hmm. But... What should have happened, in my opinion, is even if they found 14, the 14 women, it should have been able to be... that He should have been charged with however many times he trafficked each of those women, like, like right. what you were saying before. So, say he trafficked one of them three times and then released her. That one count should have turned into three counts. Right, right. Because... Even if he then took a plea deal, they would be able to get an even higher charge for him. Yeah. So, again, there needs to be reform to really look at these cases from all angles, from all different perspectives, to figure out what can we truly get out of this. And... Again, the justice justice system is designed to just punish people. It's it's supposedly designed to rehabilitate. It's supposedly designed to show society, you know, use these people as examples for society, saying if you do this thing, you're going to you're going to get this consequence. But when you're telling society that if you rape somebody or you sexually assault somebody and you get 6 months in jail, but you actually get released 3 months early, why are people going to stop right. sexually assaulting right. people? Sounds like it's worth it to me. Right. If because you didn't get caught the first time you did it. You probably did it ten times possibly. before you got caught. Yeah. So you get three months for every ten times that you get to rape someone. If you're showing society that you can traffic 22 women right. and you get nine years. Right. Why would people not right. do it? You know right. what I mean? Like, yep. Yeah, well, and that's why they, however many years ago it was, I think 20, 30 years ago now, they upped all of the man mandatory minimum sentences for any crime involving a firearm in New York State because there was so much gun violence that they were just like, we have to stop people because you'll go to jail for, you know, felony assault and you get your year, you do your six months, whatever the numbers may be. But they're all using guns, and they and and the legislature said like we need to we need to get these guns out of people's hands. So they said, oh well, now it goes from felony assault to felony assault with a deadly weapon, and the charge goes from one year to ten years mm -hmm. on yeah. your first offense. And people s started to not carry guns. Now look, there's still plenty of gun violence, but it made a difference because they said this isn't working. Right. We need to add a separate category of charge that's going to carry a dramatically larger penalty because now people are going to think twice about doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it was the same thing when we, when, um, they created another separate category 
for crimes committed with automatic weapons. Mm. Because in the 80s and the 70s, and you know, there were crimes... I mean, L.A. was rampant, or not necessarily L.A., but the areas around L.A. were rampant with MAC-10s and Uzis just clapping off in the streets yeah. because of gang members and, and whoever it was. And, you know, the problem with that is they were like, these people are just spraying indiscriminately, and yeah. the chance for collateral violence is so high absolutely so they they made another step that was like okay well you were you were caught committing this this um, violent offense but because you used an automatic weapon it's like it's like life immediately yeah and so you see this a lot of times in like in movies where none of even the guys who are carrying guns none of them are carrying like submachine guns right because even those guys know even if I get caught with this gun and I do 10 years, I'd rather do 10 years and serve five of it than get a mandatory life sentence. Yes. So, like, they just don't carry the automatic weapons anymore. Right. So, like, you can you can design a sufficiently severe penalty structure to actually have the desired result of stopping people yeah. from doing the things that you want them to stop yeah. doing. And it's like, it ties back into what you said about rehabilitation versus punishment. You know, if you just give a guy a year for carrying a gun, that's just punishing him. If you start giving people 10 years, you're changing the system where they're no longer going to carry the guns. And isn't that the point? We don't, we don't, the justice system isn't supposed to be there to deal with the problems when they happen. It's supposed to be there to stop the problems from happening in the first place. Correct. You're supposed to discourage people who would otherwise be criminals from choosing that life of crime Mm -hmm. in the first place. And you do that by having sufficiently severe punishments. Correct. (laughs) Correct. And... If you are actually attempting to rehabilitate people instead of just punishing them, when they are released, they are then possibly more productive members of society who will not commit these crimes again. But when you do not rehabilitate people and you just punish people, it makes them even harder a criminal. Mm -hmm. So when they get out, the recidivism rate skyrockets. Because they're going to jail for a couple of years for, you know, I don't know, petty larceny. And then they get out and they're like, oh, I'm going to go, like, steal a TV. And then they go right back in and they're in for another year. Mm-hmm. And then they get out and they're like, whatever, I was in for a year. Who cares? Right. I'll do it again. Right. I'll go, I'll go rob this liquor store now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it's not trying to get into their psyche to make sure that they are understanding the consequences. These people don't care about the consequences. Right. That's just part of the life as far as they're concerned. Right. In June of 2019, Newsday released an article regarding the opioid epidemic on Long Island and how it has increased sex trafficking in the area. And this is the unfortunate truth happening all over the country. And we discussed this in the Megan Lancaster case regarding the opioid crisis in Ohio. Long Island is a suburb of New York City, making it a popular tourist destination, but also a hotspot for human trafficking. With easy access via the Long Island Railroad, and I put in parentheses, sometimes buses, because our public transit sucks. Yeah, we don't really... Yeah. But I was thinking, like, more like Hampton Jitney. Right. Like, things like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, It's no wonder so many travel here to recruit and pay for sex workers. 
According to this article, over 3,700 people died from opioid overdoses between 2010 and 2018 on Long Island. 3,700 wow. people. That's crazy. Anthony Zenkis, Senior Director of Communications at Vibes here in Suffolk, stated, quote, pimps lure the victims with drugs and keep them with drugs. If they want to leave, they are told the drugs will be cut off. So like I mentioned before, we are a hotspot because we're so close to the city. And, you know, sex traffickers might even have car surface services. If they're that high up and they're making that much money, they could have car services. So they could be going into the city, finding these people on the street, and then just having their, their driver drive them out here. Or we have the Long Island Railroad. So, you know, they're, they're going on, they find a woman, they go on the, on the train. Um, actually heard a story in training about that. A guy on the train picked up someone who he, I can't remember if he actually began trafficking her or if she like caught on to it. But basically what happened was he was, um, he was sitting on the train and saw this girl sitting across from him and you know, she looked a little down. So he was like, great, this is my opportunity. She looks like she's down on her luck or, or upset about something. So let me go over there and give her a compliment. Mm -hmm. So he goes over and says, you know, oh, you're really pretty. And to her, she had never heard these words before. She, nobody ever told her she was pretty. So to her, this stranger was giving her the greatest compliment of her life. Right. And that's how he worked his way in. Right. He then was like, oh, let's talk online. Let's do this. And then would talk to her on, you know, like AIM or whatever. <laughs> AIM. Hmm. Most of you out there don't know what AIM is. Um, and then he would just continue to compliment her through those messages. And then it was like, oh, you know, you should, you should come over to my house. And then like, she would go to the house. And I don't know, again, I don't know how far it went, but at that point, you know, now I'm going to just speculate, but at that point, what could have happened was that he invites her over to his house and then he has friends there. Right. Who are now going to pay to have sex with her. Right. And he's like, oh, well, they all think you're beautiful. Don't right. you want to get right. paid what you're worth? Right. And thus it begins. Right. So we have a lot of that kind of system because like I said, public, public transportation here, especially on the railroad, like, you know, middle of the night too, like the drunk train, Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, you get a lot of these people who are look, they're looking, they're seeking these types of people out. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're professionals, so they Correct. know what they're doing. Like if they approach somebody who they give a compliment to and that girl just ignores them, they know, okay, I can't get her. Mm -hmm. But if they approach somebody and that girl is like, oh my, no, uh, no. Right. They know, oh, okay, here we go. She's insecure. Yep. I can sneak right in there. Yep. Or they'll go to the mall and they'll find a group of, of friends where there's one kind of trailing behind the others. And they're like, that's, that's the week of the herd. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go get her. 
So that's how that's how this happens. That's how they get these girls in. And it's so easy in an area like this. And it's especially easy in an area like this because, again, we have so many homeless in the city or people who are seeking a better life because they think, oh, Manhattan's going to give me that. Right. But they don't have any sort of support system here. Right. It's, yeah, I mean, there's tons of opportunity, but it's not easy. It's one of the hardest places in the world to live. Yes. To make it, you know? Yes. So then they fall into a life of drugs, or they're already drug addicted when they come here, right. and then these people just continue, hey, I'm going to get you that fentanyl. Right. I know somebody. Right, or, and there's plenty of it. So when oh, you're plenty, when you're yeah. a veteran of that underworld, it's easy for you to get. Mm-hmm. It is an incredibly unfortunate truth that many have to live with in this day, especially in areas like ours. Drugs and sex make billions of dollars, and they keep people coming back for repeat business. Emily Waters was cited as saying, quote, You can sell a bag of Coke once. You can sell a person numerous times. Using the drugs to keep the victim under constant control and manipulation allows for the trafficker to keep his commodity and continue collecting money until the victim is no longer useful. Human trafficking, whether it be sex or labor, is a $150 billion industry. These people will not stop until they get caught. Yeah, no, of course not. Why would you? <laughs> I do want to do an episode at some point on the signs to look out for. Um, you know, I did all, I, I already said in the beginning to look out for like at nail salons and massage parlors and stuff like that. But there's just, there's, there's a lot of red flags that you should be, you should be looking for. Um, so I think we'll, we'll do a, an episode on that. Yeah. Like if point. there's a bunk bed store that all they sell is bunk beds, something going on in the back. What? Remember the bunk bed? I always talk about the bunk bed store. All they did was sell bunk beds, and they somehow afforded like fifteen thousand dollars a month. Right, like in the, car- in the karaoke place. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that for sure is a front. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have any parting words for this case? No, I think just the same. The, literally, the words that you just parted with, like, like just pay attention when you can. You know, when you, if 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 you happen to be in a nail salon, yeah, just glance at their certifications and whatnot. And if there aren't any, or if you look at them and they've been expired for five or 10 or 15 years, something's amiss, you know, or if you, or if it's a place that you know is like never, ever, ever busy. Like you go through there at nine o'clock in the morning you've been past there at 12 you've been past there at 6 p.m and there's no one ever doing business there but somehow this place has been there on a busy road for years and years and years like i don't know maybe maybe just i'm not saying you know break in the windows and start busting caps or anything but like maybe pay attention and you see if you see people coming and going Mm -hmm. in strange manners and if you really do suspect something Call the police. Yes. It's not a big deal. No, it's you know? not. And you're not being a snitch. You're being a responsible citizen. We say and it all the time. And maybe nothing comes of it. And okay, so be it. Your tax dollars are paying for these police anyways. Let them go out and do some work. Let them check some stuff out. We say it all the time. It does not hurt to report. It will do more damage to not 
report if something is actually happening. Absolutely. So just report it, especially if you're in a nail salon or a massage parlor and they don't have licenses. You're reporting a legitimate, it's actually, I believe it's a felony in New York um, to work without um, a license. So you're reporting an actual crime. If they don't have right. documentation to show you that they are licensed, you're you're reporting something true. So don't right. feel like you're doing something wrong. And if you think like, oh, well, you know, I'm just snitching on this person. They're not sex trafficking. They're not selling drugs. They're just trying to do nails and they don't want to pay the man their money. But by them not paying for that, they can now operate at a lower cost than all the people that are doing the business on the level. So by them doing that, they're they're hurting people who have yes. chosen, you know, uh, we had a business where we did everything on the level. And I knew many people who knew people who were doing the same exact kind of work and they were just doing it out of their kitchens and out of their living rooms without licensure, without insurance. Mm-hmm. And, and they were all like, it was just an open topic to talk about. Like, oh yeah, this is just what she does. Like mm-hmm. she's, A, she's breaking the law. Mm-hmm. And... B, she's not struggling. If she owns a house in Suffolk County that has a living room that she can dedicate to doing businesses, then she's not struggling to feed her family. Right. Um, and furthermore, she was hurting us by having these Correct. businesses. You Correct. know? So by you reporting this kind of work, you're, you're not hurting somebody who's just trying to work and just trying to feed their family. You're helping somebody who's just trying to work and feed their family the right Correct. way. Correct. Exactly. <sighs> There, like you said, there were so many people who were doing this out of their homes. So when I would get a client come in asking me if I could do the whatever for cheaper, because that's what the person was charging out of their home. And I would say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I have overhead. I have rent to pay. I have taxes that I have to pay. I have a lot of things that I have to actually use this money to go towards. Right. A lot of this isn't just coming into my pocket. Right. This is going out to to pay utilities and all of the all of the overhead. When you're working out of your home, you don't really have that. To, right. So you can pocket all of that stuff. Right. Exactly. So when that person's doing it for a hundred, two hundred dollars cheaper, I get damaged. My business gets damaged because now that person, that client's gonna go, well I'm gonna go to the cheaper person. Right. Like, okay, well, good luck to you, because if you go to that cheaper person and they're not licensed, they can do physical harm to you. Yeah. So you're now risking yourself. So by not reporting these people, even if they're not doing, you know, sex trafficking work, whatever, labor trafficking, whatever it is, you're helping the potential client list that's going to maybe go into those people and be harmed because those people are not trained properly. Right. And those people don't know. Right. They think, yeah, oh, they, this is just the way it is. Right. This is, you they know, don't my know. my friend at work told me this is where she goes and she her nails always look great. I'm just going to go to this woman's yep. house. They just think that that's normal. Right. So, you know? again, just report it because you you are actually helping a greater thing. Yeah, and you never know when, if you do report this nail salon, they may be, they may be human trafficking, they may be trafficking humans, they may be trafficking substances. Yep. There may be, you know, crazy crime happening back there. There probably isn't, but you know what? Who cares? It takes you two seconds to make a phone call. Exactly. It takes you 10 mm-hmm. minutes to make a report with mm-hmm. the police. Just do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And the 1% chance that your report actually catches some serious crime is worth the time that it takes. Completely. Just do it. Just you know? do it. 
You see we something, need to, say something. Yeah, I know. It's so cheesy. <laughs> it's so cheesy. And I remember when that first came out on, like, the subways mm-hmm. in the city. And everyone's like, oh, if you see something, say something. We used to always make fun of it and laugh yep. about it. But, like, it's true. It's true. Just, you know, you're not being a snitch. Like, we can't have this, we can't have this philosophy that, oh, I'm not going to get up in that person's business because they're just, they're breaking the fucking law. Right. Yes, they're there breaking the law. They're stopping me from conducting legitimate business. They're making it harder for me to live my life. Correct. Laws are in place. That's those guys. Laws are uh, in place for a reason. Yeah. So if we want to ensure a safer society, we have to make sure that we are reporting. We need to all be responsible yes. and accountable. Correct. <sighs> Correct. And on that note... Uh, if you have any stories that you would like to share on Blackbird, you can email us at blackbirdadvocacy at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at blackbirdadvocacy. If you would like to just talk about anything or get some more information, you can also DM me on blackbirdadvocacy on Instagram. And um, we are actually going to be going live in a couple of weeks. Um, I believe it is Friday the 31st. Am I right? Let me look at my calendar. Yes. So Friday the 31st, we will be doing a live podcast to kick off our August deep dive into um, sexual violence in the military um, at a virtual podcast convention that... I and a couple of other podcasters started for this year because of the quarantine. So um, we wanted a way for our podcast to get out there to many other audiences. And uh, we decided to start this this podcast convention. It runs from Friday, July 31st to Sunday, August 2nd. And uh, we'll be doing some panel discussions. I'll be running one also on July 31st um, about women in podcasting. And Dan and I will be doing our live podcast episode. So I will give you more information about that once we have everything settled and we have, you know, like the the link and everything. Um, so look out for that on our Instagram and we'll probably share it um, with next, next week's episode also. Um, but that's exciting because that'll be our first live episode gonna be crazy hopefully we don't mess it up we're not gonna be able to edit anything out no edits so you're probably gonna get the dogs dogs (laughs) crunching and walking on stuff it's gonna be really interesting to see how that goes yeah we're gonna have to figure some we're gonna have to set up we're gonna have to yeah it's gonna be some setup it's gonna have to be a we're gonna make some changes here yeah but um we're excited about that so we hope that you will uh be a part of that with us be safe be aware of your surroundings continue social distancing because seriously like this is not over guys no this is not over no and i've been very proud we were just out the other uh yesterday uh as we were talking about and i was really proud of people i saw a lot of people being totally reasonable and i was like it's about freaking time Mm -hmm. because when this whole thing started people were not being reasonable and they were not being responsible and guess what now we're in a second wave correct and now people are taking it seriously yep so Good on you, Suffolk Countyers. You guys have been eventually good. Yes. <laughs> yesterday looked very good. Yeah, yesterday so was... let's do yeah. that. Yes, yesterday was great. I, 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 I yeah. concur. Continue to social distance. 
It's yes. hot. You don't want to be up on people anyways. No. Ugh. ugh get some distance. Ugh, get some. Yeah. Get distance, <laughs> please. People are people probably smell right now too. Yeah. Don't I, don't be near them. I might smell. That's why I'm on the other side of the room. Right. That's that's why we are social distance yeah. today. Socially yeah. distant. Socially distant. Whatever. Words. Right. All right. So, All right. thanks, guys. Peace out, y'all. <laughs>